and I'm scrolling through Twitter and I see this tweet from Richard Branson's account that says, come meet me in Miami for two days. And the tickets are X dollars. I think it was like two grand or something like that, which is a lot of money to me at the time. I didn't think about it twice. I just said, I want to meet Richard Branson. I'm going, I'll figure it out. He had this presence and aura about him, which I'd never seen before. And he was, he's actually kind of nervous to meet everybody. He had to like take a minute, steady himself. You could see it. And he said, you know, when everybody kind of came to order, he said, listen, if you're in this room, it matters. I don't care if you're just starting out. I don't care if you just sold your company for a billion dollars. He went around the room and he asked everybody and, you know, this person talked about that thing and this person talked about that thing. And I said to myself, well, what could I add to this room of amazing people? So I started geeking out about 3D printing. I've been looking at it since 2009 when I was introduced to it. And he takes me aside after. He's like, that's fascinating. I want you to email me about that. And I'm like, okay, rebel billionaire Richard Branson, (laughs) I'll email you. We raised like $2.5 million that night in that small room of 12 people. This is Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself with other high-level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. He went from a kid getting beat up and bullied in Long Island, New York, to building a successful hedge fund and hanging out with Richard Branson and Tim Ferriss. He has dropped approximately $650,000 on personal development work and is working to create a global mindset shift. He's the founder of Make More Marbles Movement and Podcast, and his name is Brad Hart. On today's episode, we get behind the story and the mindset of such an accomplished individual. We get to learn how Brad thinks, how he's built a hedge fund that got 106% returns, and why he is crazy or intelligent enough to spend so much time and money on his own personal growth. Without further ado, let's welcome Brad to the show. Brad Hart, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you having me on the Entrepreneur House today. I'm excited. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And I hear you're calling in from San Diego, right? That's right, man. I'm looking out at the ocean right now. It's a beautiful community, a wonderful place to be. I can't think of any other place in the world I'd rather be. What cities in the world would you compare San Diego regarding the tech scene? Oh, with tech? Yeah. Uh, that's hard to that's hard to clarify because I feel like internet marketing is big down here. Yeah. And then there's some kind of biotech stuff like Organova's down here. It's a company I've profiled in Forbes. They're working on um, 3D printing organs and tissues for drug trials. Mm-hmm. And eventually the goal being to create completely replaceable organs that there's no drug trials, no rejection possibility. I mean, that would change and revolutionize a lot of people's lives. I mean, think how many people have failing organs and are waiting for a transplant. And if you could just grow one, that's your own cells. That's pretty cool. So yeah. there's that. There's the internet marketing. There's the military. Um, I don't really see it as like a tech hub, like a Silicon Valley in that regard. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist here. I know LA is like Silicon Beach now that they're talking about that. But I don't <laughs> know if we have that like real contingent of like mega tech entrepreneurs or that this would be the first thing I think about. Um, I think Austin. Uh, certainly up and coming in that regard. Chattanooga's kind of five years out, but it's really, they're starting to put a lot of infrastructure in, into that city. And of all the places I've gone, I think San Diego is, is still my favorite as far as lifestyle, but I wouldn't be here if I was trying to start a tech startup. Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh yeah, Chattanooga's like Austin 10 years ago. Really? Uh, yeah, you heard it here first, man. Go there and check it out. It's pretty rad. 
Okay, I have to. I'll put it on the list. Thanks for coming on the show, man. We want to get to know you as the entrepreneur that you are today. So I'd like to just give you the mic and run with it. Sure. Yeah, the hero's journey. I love it. So <laughs> I grew up on Long Island, which if you've never been there, is, is a pretty cool place to be. But the place I grew up was a little bit tough. You know, we grew up just outside of the rich neighborhoods. A lot of the kids struggle with drugs and alcohol as kids. A lot of them are on heroin now. Um, you know, one of them killed three people. He's still in jail. Uh, a couple others spent time in and out of jail. A couple people died or didn't make it. You know, it was it's kind of like that that song by The Offspring. Mm-hmm. You know, chances blow, nothing's free. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, I grew up in that, and there was actually a really interesting thing that was going on at the time, which I didn't realize was so abnormal, is that there was a lot of skinhead gang activity, like a lot of white power, oh, wow. nationalism, boots and braces, that kind of mentality going on. And while I never went down the rabbit hole there, there was definitely a lot of hate where I grew up, and a lot of the neighboring towns had uh, like race riots and things going on. Like they all went into the same school and uh, there was a lot of problems with that growing up. And I just kind of took that for granted as being kind of the way the world was. But what I didn't realize is that, you know, I was actually in the middle of kind of a 1990s, you know, early 2000s era um, cultural shift that hadn't quite all the way worked itself out mm-hmm. in that particular place at that particular time. Uh, the other thing that I remember from my childhood was that there were no women in my life. Like my mom left, <laughs> there was not a lot of girls in the neighborhood. Like I didn't really have any interaction with women until maybe middle school, high school. And, you know, for me, having all that pain, getting beat up so much, uh, because guess what? It was a violent place. Um, you know, really shaped me as an individual. I remember many, many times getting just, you know, manhandled by the bigger kids and I was never the smartest, the strongest, the fastest. I had to learn to be, you know, witty. I had to learn to make alliances. I had to learn to, you know, be friends with the bigger kids so I didn't get beat up so much. And thankfully my mom saw kind of what was happening and, um, she made it happen that I, I ended up in a private Catholic school eventually, but there was a good, you know, five years, six years there where I just, I had a rough go at things. You know, I really had trouble finding out who I was and, and just being okay. You know, I think when you go through a lot of trauma as a young age, uh, there's different strategies that people use, you know, they block it or they bond with it, or, you know, there's eight different strategies. I've studied trauma since, but I was a trauma blocker. And the problem with blocking trauma is that you also block all the good stuff. So you kind of live this numbed out life and that persisted for quite a while. And it was fueled by a lot of alcohol as well. Uh, I struggled with alcohol, when I was young, I don't think I was ever an alcoholic, but I definitely used it as an escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, eventually when I was 18, I'm sorry, when I was 20 and my friend was 18 in college, he was one of these kids that could just get, you know, blackout drunk every night of the week and still get a four point on average. And we were <laughs> drinking too, but we weren't getting a four point on average. We weren't about to tell him like, hey, you're not doing it right. And then he got into Cornell. We were at Binghamton. He got into Cornell and he went and partied with his friends to celebrate and he never woke up. He aspirated vomit, and that was it. And 18 years old, his whole life ahead of him. Um, and that really shifted me. But I didn't quite get the lesson until I was 24. My dad wasted away from drinking, and then he passed away. And then my best friend almost, you know, had that road, too, with drugs and alcohol. It was like, you know, something is, is needs to shift. And I had this experience uh, during the, the melee of my hedge fund days where I was told that, you know, if I didn't make a shift, something like that might happen to me. And it really resonated. This coach was really good at just kind of calling me out on my, my BS, if you will, mm-hmm. and helped me understand that, hey, you know, drinking needs to shift in your life. And there's been a lot of things that have influenced me over the years, but I think that was really a turning point. So he just, he kind of lowballed it at me, softballed it towards me. He said, hey, just take 30 days off and see what, what changes. 
And I had never done that. I realized since I was 11 years old. Since the time I started drinking and smoking, I quit smoking at 18, thankfully. Until that age, I think I was 26 at that time, I'd never taken a 30-day period where I didn't have at least one drink of alcohol. Wow. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. And it was hard, but I did it, and I felt great. I felt like better than I'd ever felt before, and I kept it going for 18 months before I had another drink. And that was like one of the most expansive periods of my life. My hedge fund took off. It did really well. I had 106% return. Um, I'm kind of interweaving personal and professional stories here, but, uh, you know, these are all interconnected and I, I feel like entrepreneurs, they fail to realize that they're human beings first and mm-hmm. entrepreneurs second. And, you know, maybe some of the stuff is going to resonate with the people listening. So, uh, suffice to say I was able to quit on my own. Most people can't do that. Um, but I recommend if you can, and you're able to, if you don't need like legit hardcore professional help if you need that help there's no shame in it go get it i can i can share resources for sure but if you're able to quit for 30 days and just see what your how your life shifts and how much better things are i would never trade that life for this life not in a million billion years right like the life i'm living now as a result of just getting rid of that one thing reestablishing my relationship with it and escapism in general in other ways which you know cascade effect is you notice one thing and then you notice other things Mm -hmm. has just created so much more space and time and attention and energy i mean people don't realize how big that is so uh my head of sales frank and i one day we were just messing around in my apartment in santa monica and we decided to record a video because he had quit drinking for a year also and we made this video and we put it on YouTube and we thought nothing of it. And we made a little guide for people if they wanted to do like a 30 day challenge. And it went on to become the most popular video on quitting alcohol on YouTube for really? about a year and a half. Yeah, it ended up getting a tremendous amount of traffic for a video like that. I mean, it's not a cat video, certainly, or a Casey Neistat video. But, <laughs> you know, for that, like we got thousands of people writing in. I got, I still get emails all the time about it where they're like, I watched your video, I took your challenge, I'm 30, 60, 90 days, 180 days in, I've been quit for a year, it's it's a beautiful thing. And it just took that one experience related in a way with no judgment and like, hey, this is something that maybe you could take a look at and here we're here to support you and there's no hook on the end of it that shifted my whole perspective on what was possible with uh, entrepreneurship. Having all that money flow into my life and still being unfulfilled and still feeling disconnected from people I was so lost and scared in that moment because I was like, I'm never going to be happy. And that's all I ever wanted was to be financially secure. And then all of a sudden I was and I didn't feel any different. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I was and I was still anxious. And in fact, I was more anxious about losing it, which led me to lose a lot of it, just doing dumb stuff for the next two years. Um, and now I've been kind of like slowly piecing the puzzle back together. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that uh, really did it for me and made the shift was just understanding that I'm an emotional being and I have to overcome this trauma blocking. You know, I can't live in my head and my name is heart. So like that's probably my, my biggest <laughs> challenge like, just getting out of my head, living in my heart and reminding myself, you know, that, hey, there's more capacity here. When you get out of your head, it's a tool. It's a great tool, but it's not who you are. Right. right? It's just a tool. So long story short. You know, I came out of hedge fund land. We did well. I wrote everybody a big check. I was burned out, miserable. Um, I started blowing money on startups and dumb stuff and travel. And I've invested, I don't know, $650,000 in personal development over the years and masterminds and travel. And I've been all over the world, 23 countries, 47, 43 states. Um, met everybody you could think of. And, you know, had one of my goals is to have 
10 hundred million dollar plus mentors mm-hmm. uh, and I've had six now including two well-known billionaires so that's pretty cool and by mentors I mean spent time with and actually interacted with in person um, whether it be you know a couple days a couple hours whatever but like actually one-on-one time so that's been really the greatest gift is just to see these people for whom life shows up uh, as them you know just the function of them being there life right. shows up so you know you kind of start in life i think with life happens to you and you have no control and you're kind of a victim and you can stay there or you can go to life happens through you where you can take action and things happen and that's pretty exciting and then life happens for you is maybe the next thing and you know things start to flow and set a hustle a little more right. uh, and then finally you can get to this place where life happens just by the very virtue of you showing up when richard branson walks into a room millions of dollars start moving I'll mm-hmm. tell a quick story about that is, you know, in 2011, after my dad had passed and I was out at his house kind of sorting out some stuff, I'm laying in bed one morning, not particularly inspired to do anything at all. And I'm scrolling through Twitter and I see this tweet from Richard Branson's account that says, come meet me in Miami for two days. And the tickets are X dollars. I think it was like two grand or something like that, which is a lot of money to me at the time. And I didn't think about it twice. I just said, I want to meet Richard Branson. I'm going, I'll figure it out. And I bought new clothes and I got a plane ticket. And the next day I was in Miami and there he was. And I'm in this room at the Versace Mansion in Miami at this private little event with maybe 12 people in the room. And it was a a charity fundraiser for Free the Children. Uh And it's a great charity. They are ending child labor and slavery all over the world. Craig Kilberger and Dr. Callie Charon run it. Uh, Faith Bachelot, all these wonderful people. And in that room, there were people who sold their companies for a billion dollars and there were people who made several dozens of millions of dollars a month and there were supermodels and there were you know incredible well-established human beings and here i am this kid you know (laughs) and the funny thing was there were a couple other kids just like that in front i've been friends with one ever since it's been kind of a fun ride he now lives here with his wife uh, in in community in san diego uh, and it's been funny to kind of see how we've changed and grown over the years. Uh, but what Richard did was he, he made it okay for me to have big dreams. And the way he did that was he, when he walked into the room, he had this presence and aura about him, which I'd never seen before. And he was, he was actually kind of nervous to meet everybody. He had to like take a minute, steady himself. You could see it. And then he started doing his thing, walking around, hi, I'm Richard, meeting everybody. And, you know, of course, I was very formal. I said, Sir Richard. And he said, No, just call me Richard. And I said, <laughs> That's pretty rare. Thank you for that. Uh, and he said, you know, when everybody kind of came to order, he said, listen, if you're in this room, it matters. I don't care if you're just starting out. I don't care if you just sold your company for a billion dollars. Um, I want to hear every one of your stories. I'm going to take a minute right now to listen to every single one of your stories. So I, he went around the room and he asked everybody and, you know, this person talked about that thing and this person talked about that thing. And I said to myself, well, what could I add to this room of amazing people? So I started geeking out about 3D printing. I've been looking at it since 2009 when I was introduced to it. And now it's 2011 and still nobody's talking about this massive, you know, revolution where we're going from mass production to mass customization. And it's still kind of this thing that's that's moving. It's been around for a while, but, um, you know, nobody would really – it wasn't in the collective consciousness in the way it is now. And I just geeked out about it. And he takes me aside after. He's like, that's fascinating. I want you to email me about that. And I'm like, oh, wow. okay, rebel billionaire Richard Branson, <laughs> I'll email you. 24-year-old, 25-year-old kid, whatever I was at the time. And I'm like, what do I do now? <laughs> like, this is scary. So, you know, I didn't get his email from him. It was about six years before I got it back. Uh, and I've reached out to him since and I'll continue to follow up. 
uh, if he remembers it or not, who knows. But it was that one moment where somebody like that had validated an idea that I had and said, that's interesting to me. Right. And he ended up investing in two other companies in that room. He put a million dollars into some company. It was like 18 year old kids that were running it. I don't know where it went or what it did, but, um, you know, he was putting real money to work in that room and that could have been me if I was ready to receive that. Right. I had asked and I I just ready to receive. And then additionally, we raised like two and a half million dollars that night in that small room of 12 people for charity for that charity that night. I mean, think about the right room, how much that can change your life. So I was just so grateful and fortunate to have that one turning point where I was like, I matter. My ideas matter. They're validated by people I look up to. And now it gives me, it gave me the permission really to just say, all right, let's get after it. And that led to all my other success. Um, That was a really pivotal moment that I refer back to often. And I hope there's more to the story because I think it was really cool. Um, so I guess bring us to to modern day. You know, I've got uh, an Amazon business. I'm really big into blockchain. I think it can be bigger than the internet or nothing at all. It might change the entire way that the world transaction. Um, I'm big on contribution. So I call it my ABCs, Amazon blockchain contribution. Make more marbles as part of that contribution to other entrepreneurs to help them along their journey with personal development, with strategies, with teamwork, with wealth dynamics, with all the things that we do over there. And that's all great. But I think we're really where my heart is, is that, you know, I want to make money and I want to grow and protect my money, but I want to really give it in a way that is intentional mm-hmm. and help create systems that serve more people. Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher level entrepreneurs to bring you some applicable tactics for your business. October 26th, we will have our most impactful event ever. The experience includes workshops, masterminds, advisors, high-speed Wi-Fi at a beautiful resort complex. So if you're ready to seriously take your business to the next level, contact us at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now back to the show. Right there's an old Winston Churchill quote which I really love is that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. <laughs> and I think the same thing could be said about capitalism, it's the best system we got, but I'm sure there's something better coming. Right. And we get to help create that. You know, this fiat currency federal reserve system, it's fine, it works. It, it's kind of working for some people right now, but it's not working for everybody certainly mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. And I feel like things like cryptocurrency and the blockchain might be a better way. And if we can get those people in a room and start talking and creating these better systems and doing it in a collaborative way, we can all win more instead of just competing with each other. So the Make More Marbles brand is really just a mission statement. It's I don't want to be the hungry, hungry hippos and grab for all the marbles. I've been down that road. It sucks. I hate it. It's not my flow. What I really love is when people come together, collaborate to make more marbles for everybody. I'd rather have a small piece of a larger pie. I know that sounds like you know a little... Uh, Marxist or communist, whatever, socialist, you can label it all you want. I'm just saying let's have a conversation about how we can serve more people because what we're doing, I can see the the writing on the wall. Yeah, I can see how we're destroying the planet. I can see how we can't eat money when we run out of food. How do we fix these problems? And I do believe they'll be fixed, but only if we have more abundance-minded individuals that come in and say, okay, I'm going to focus on the solution, not the problem. I'm not going to watch the news all day and talk about how bad the world is. I'm going to actually take an, a stand for something. You know, I'm not going to look and see the ills of the world and say, uh, somebody should do something about that. Well, aren't you somebody? You know, that's what I ask people is like, come on, man, let's do something. You can make a difference. It matters to that one, like the starfish, you know? Yeah. But I'm preaching to the choir here. We're all entrepreneurs. We're all here to change the world. We're all here to move uh, resources from areas of low yield to high yield, move resources from areas of high risk to low risk if you're an investor as well, uh, which you should be. We're all investing, whether mm-hmm. we believe it or not. 
uh, I'm just here to support you. That's all I'm here to do. I'm here to f- make sure you have the right connections, the right resources, the right opportunities, the right people, the right systems and strategies, the crops, as I call them, to to grow and, and change and evolve and help us all do that as well and inspire others to do the same because God knows we need leaders more now than ever before. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the world we live in today is great and it's getting better, but it's not there yet and not for everybody. For sure. We just spent time in the Syrian refugee camps in Athens, and we just built a house in Mexico down near Rosarito. And, um, you know, there's people living hard lives, and it could be better yeah. if we just a different look at it. It doesn't mean less for others. It means more for others. How old are you now, Brad? I just turned 32 this month, or last month, sorry. It's an amazing amount of accomplishments for really 32. So kudos to you, man. Congratulations. <laughs> I don't know if it is or not, Chris. I got to be honest. You know, everybody wants to say I'm so great. There's still a lot to do, guys. Like, I'm not, I'm just a guy who's, who knows what he's here to do. That's it. Yeah. I have a good friend who I saw him speak at a conference this past weekend. And he, a couple months ago, he got bitten by a, a cobra. Yeah, I believe so. While he was in Israel. And it almost killed him. And he said while he was laying on the side of the road waiting for the ambulance to come, although he had accomplished so much in his life, which he accomplished quite a bit, that he, was laying there thinking, I've only done 10%. I've only done 10%. I've got to do more. So like, I I think everybody has so much more that they can give, but you've done an amazing job. So definitely hats off to you. I want to talk about something really quick that um, struck a chord with me. You mentioned you spent around $650,000 in personal development throughout your life. And I think without a doubt, that's, I mean, I've spent thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of dollars, but nowhere near 650. I think that's something that's so key that entrepreneurs miss out because I believe a lot of entrepreneurs think they need to dump more money into their business and work harder into their business and work harder. So I'm kind of curious, like, what is it about your mindset that makes you think you need to, to keep reinvesting into yourself so you grow as a human being and become an entrepreneur um, as a result of that? So that's a great question, Chris, and I'll answer it in a couple of ways just to give people different threads to pull on because mm-hmm. I think the answer is going to be a little different for everybody. I'll tell you why. Uh, I know what my flow is, and it took me a long time to find it. It's people, right? There's four types of flows that people typically have. They're either based on ideas. You're an idea person. You're a people person. You're a timing person. You have your ear to the ground. You can see when things are coming. You, you have a good sense of timing. Or you're a numbers person. And by numbers, I mean systems, processes, spreadsheets, all the stuff I hate to do. It's the opposite side of my spectrum. <laughs> How did I run a hedge fund successfully? I don't know. I guess it was my team. Uh, but that can be my strength and my flow. And it allows me to do the things I do. So when I say I invest not just in personal development, but in you know, trips, masterminds, events. I spent half of the summer on the road somewhere doing something. Uh, the reason is because the ROI I can receive on that, both from a, a fulfillment perspective but also a success perspective, is entirely a function of who I know. It has nothing to do with what I know. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know everything if I know everybody. And my goal is not to know everybody in the sense that, you know, it's a fun, cool catchphrase to say, but uh, it's to know the people that can make the difference. It's to have the conversations and and me going to them vulnerably and saying, I see a problem. I have an idea what the solution can be, but really I just want to spark a conversation because you're smart and you have resources and you have skills and you have, uh, you know, the ability to make a change and you just might not be thinking along these lines. You may not be focusing on what I'm looking at. And then I can just, from a place of complete vulnerability, go to them and be like, hey, 
you know, what if we looked at it this way? Or what if you connected this person? What if you tried it this way? And just start stirring things up. And as a function of that, maybe change the world. Like with the Richard Branson thing. Like he never knew about 3D printing before. Like I would love to whisper in the ear of more people like that. Mm-hmm. So the reason I go to all these places and do all these things is to meet the influencers and the world shapers that have the leverage to do the big things because, you know, we're all on our way to something. And if I can enter somebody's life at a perfect time to help them shift in the way they need to shift, because life's not about you. I hope you know this and anybody listening at home, you know, life's not about you. You're part of it, but it's really about the impact you can make. It's about the other people in your life that you can serve. Mm-hmm. Whether you have a company, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a student, it doesn't matter. It's about the others in your life that you can benefit or add value to. And the secret to living is giving. The more you give, even when you have nothing to give, the more is, is coming back to you. And it, it may not come back in the way you, you can look or intend, but I always tell people, like, if you knew the end of the book, it would be a spoiler, right? You right. get to write and read and live this this story chapter by chapter, and you don't want to know what's in the next chapter. That would be horribly boring. Yeah, we, we want to live life that we know exactly how it's going to end. That would be terrible. So, you know, get in love with the journey. Figure out what you're here to do. It might not be the same thing forever. It might be for a reason or a season or a lifetime. But just start asking yourself the question: If you're like me and you're and your flow is people, you know, what's what can I do for the person standing in front of me right now? How can I help that person? get a little bit further along and when you treat people like that when you have that relationship minded aspect when you really care about the outcome when you have empathy and when you when you won't settle for anything less than outstanding the things that come into your life as a result chris are incredible like Mm -hmm. unbelievable like divine ridiculous awesome juju energy coming into your life it's pretty (laughs) awesome man like coincidences and and just support and beautiful people that show up to say i'm just gonna grab a shovel and help you i see you got this big pile let me help you shovel it and they just they don't ask for anything in return they just want to help right i can share a thousand examples of that i'll share just one um you know a guy named sonny came into my life and i have a thank you note in my notebook uh, to send to him that I just reminded myself that I need to do. Um, I send thank you notes to a lot of people. That's a great uh, tactic, tip, tactic, strategy, takeaway, practical and tactical, if that's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Sonny is an angel to me because when I started my podcast, I just didn't have the bandwidth to reach out to all these people. And a lot of them knew me, uh, but I wasn't like in the right headspace, like that star mentality to go and like start asking for things. And he just came in and said, hey, man, I, I don't need help right now. But I'm going to need help from you pretty soon. Right. And in the meantime, I want to add value to your life. He's like totally transparent. I'm like, I really respect this. Like game respects game. He's like, I'm going to go and get you on a bunch of great podcasts. And I'm going to go book a bunch of great people for your podcast. And ever since, he sent me like the best people. And people that I kind of knew and interacted with. But they said yes because Sonny decided to make it so. Yeah. He felt like I needed to get out and, and spread my message and talk to people. And, you know, we've had some amazing, incredible guests on the show. We've had – I'd love to have you on as well, by the way. Um, the CEO of Virgin Galactic, uh, who used to be the chief of staff at NASA, was on. Uh, you know, all these really famous authors and just amazing speakers and just incredible people. And, like, we're going to be launching soon. And I'm, I'm blown away by the caliber and the quality. But it's not a function of what I've done. It's a function of who I'm showing up as consistently. How do you keep that focus on, and it seems very natural to you, especially the way that you speak about it, but keeping that focus on on the bigger picture and being outward focused and, and helping others, is that a struggle for you or is that just something that's natural and easy? Um, I have struggled with it 
Uh, I'll sh- let's share a quick story. Okay. So I've been to a lot of Tony Robbins events. We brought 47 people to the last UPW. Our goal is to bring 100 people to the next one in March. If anybody wants to go, we get great rates, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is when I was going to Tony Robbins myself, my fourth or fifth event was um, Life and Wealth Mastery in Marco Island, Florida. Mm-hmm. And you do the life part, and you kind of do the five-day vegan cleanse and the colonics and all that. And that was an interesting journey, which I could talk about some other time. Uh, but when we switched over to the wealth, uh, the wealth part, it was really interesting. This guy, Scotty, runs it, and he's – you know, got a great story and really successful entrepreneur. And Scotty tells a story about how when life notices that you're off course, it gives you little feathers, like little hints, just a little brush, you know, hey, hey, pay attention to this, pay attention to this. And you can ignore the feathers, but one day life's going to turn up the volume. You're going to be walking across the street and you're going to get hit with a brick. And it's going to be, oh my God, you got hit by a brick. What was that about? <laughs> And you can ignore the bricks too, but one day you're going to be walking across the street and life's going to get like, you know, make sure you get the message. You're going to forget to look both ways and it's going to hit you with a mm, Mack truck, right? (laughs) So feathers, bricks, and trucks. So I had been dealing with being in my head a lot, a lot. That was my, the place I went to grind on things that made no sense and, uh, you know, focus on myself and my suffering and all the things that I wanted. Uh, That would be the place where I go to just be miserable, basically. It was in my head. And I went outside after hearing the story and we had a three hour break. So I went back to my Airbnb on my little beach cruiser I'd borrowed in Marco Island. It's a bright sunny day and the birds are chirping and for no reason or every reason, I wasn't paying attention. When I go to cross the road, I thought I made eye contact with the driver who was about to make a right hand turn mm-hmm. and I go to cross the street and he pulls out to make the right hand turn and he knocks me off my bike and crushes the bike and knocks me into traffic and I scrape both my knees up and everybody's trying to avoid me and not kill me. Mm-hmm. I could have very well died that day. Uh, luckily, I got away with some busted knees. And um, I go back to the event after the break, and all that melee that ensued, I dealt with that. And I'm getting patched up by the medic they have on staff. And Scotty walks by. He says, what happened to you? I said, you know, Scotty, I've been thinking a lot about – oh, I forgot the best part. So the, the truck that hit me was entirely full of paving stones or bricks that made the right-hand turn and crushed me. Like, right. Literally, it was, it was a guy who was off to do a job and wasn't paying attention and just made the right-hand turn without looking. Full of bricks. Right. And I've been thinking, I tell Scotty, I've been thinking a lot about the story he told with the, the bricks and the trucks. He's like, oh, yeah, it's a good metaphor. I'm like, it's not a metaphor, Scotty. <laughs> there's, there's tricks, there's, there's freaking trucks full of bricks hitting people out there. Look at my knees. <laughs> I got to pay more attention. So now every time I'm like, oh, it's about me or, oh, um, you know, what do I want or, oh, blah, blah, blah. I know intellectually now because it's like physically wired. Like anytime that I'm not paying attention and I stub my toe or catch my elbow on the door or trip or whatever it is, I'm not paying attention. That's a little feather. Just a little reminder. Stay out of your head, Brad. Your last name's Hart. And from doing that, from that place, you can't help but focus on other people. Right, because you start yeah. to see the need that everybody has, the needs, wants, and desires, and you want to fulfill those needs, wants, and desires. You want to help more people, and in doing so, you add more value. They'll exchange money for it. Uh, all your dreams, wishes, and desires can be fulfilled just by focusing on others and their needs and solving their problems. Do you have any practices like meditation or self-talk, affirmations, the sort of thing that you implement? Yes, uh, that's a great question. Every day I come out of my house mm-hmm. and I go down to the beach and I run down there and I run two miles up to Del Mar and I go in the ocean and I scream at the ocean every day. I scream and I yell and I punch and I kick and I swim 
and I tackle waves, and I get tackled by waves, and I just get my ass pummeled until I've worked out every stupid, selfish thought, everything that's been bothering me, everything that has been weighing on me, everything I'm worried about, everything that I think I'm going to fail at, I just scream and yell it out. Mm-hmm. And I look like a maniac. And you can see me <laughs> I, I seriously, I get looks like people don't even believe it. I'm sh- pretty sure one day somebody's going to call the cops on me. But then again, I mean, I've never heard of anybody get arrested for assaulting the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, unless a shark, you know, jumps in and I punch a shark or jump the shark or do whatever <laughs> I do, Fonzie style. Like, I think I'm going to be okay there. So, like, that's my way. I, I do my my stuff. And, yeah, I do other stuff. I meditate. I, I breathe and I, I run and I work out and I do those things. But... I don't think I've ever found anything in recent memory more cathartic than literally punching the ocean in the morning <laughs> and screaming. It sounds very therapeutic. I mean, every once in a it's while, awesome. every I one- recommend everybody do it. If you're near an ocean, go go yell at it for a while. It's pretty amazing. I think I've had to you punch take, a pillow. Trust every- me, the I- ocean can take. Yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> I practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and that's very therapeutic too to get frustrations out. And and we don't punch anybody, but it is fun to roll on the mat and and submit people every now and then. Very- Too much of a way to step in the ring with those guys, man. They they'll kill me. I know a lot of friends are are really good at that, and I just I haven't been able to do it. Yeah. personally but i respect the heck out of it i also don't want cauliflower ears i think i'm afraid of that yeah <laughs> me too i said first sign of cauliflower ears and i'm gone but so far i haven't got anything <laughs> but there really are there are people that have done it 40 years and haven't got it and some people i think actually rub their ears to make them look like that so they look tough <laughs> neither here nor there okay dude <laughs> you're an awesome guy man i i'm so glad i had you on the show uh, i want to ask you how's your time uh let's see time yeah let's take a look time is a thing let's pay attention to it uh i'm good i'm gonna have lunch after this so i actually have a few more minutes if you want to do another 10 or 15 yeah and we've talked a lot about philosophy and mindset goal setting which is incredible and moving into your heart and i love that i do want to talk about you building your hedge fund as a young man and growing your businesses so could you dive into that part of your story a little bit more and give a listen oh yeah this is so fun to me because i love being like remember that time your ego drove the bus and how miserable it made you Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah so uh let me tell you a story so my great grandfather his name was george george e hart and my grandfather never got along their whole life butted heads uh my great grandfather was super wealthy owned a lot of lands uh, turned a lot of that land into orchards, and he had a saying. He said, an orchard is not one tree. I don't plant one tree and say, there's my orchard. I plant a thousand trees knowing full well that some will live and some will die. But if I plant enough and water them all, eventually I'll have a thriving orchard that bears much fruit. And I always thought that was kind of interesting because like a lot of people, they put all their eggs in one basket or they think that it's got to be this one thing, but they're not good at making quick decisions and just doing high probability things fast and failing forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same thing with investing. Like you're not going to put all your eggs in one investment or one trade. Like you're going to put a lot of things to work. So I always kind of left that, that story is really cool. Uh, his brother, my great uncle, Al invested in things like standard oil and bell telephone. And by the time my grandfather had retired, uh, we found this out when we were 16, we had to put him in the VA home and we moved a lot of assets out of his name into my father's name. So we found out that he had like, you know, a couple million bucks in stocks that was spread all around 25 or so different companies, you know, the big Ma Bell companies that became everything and all the oil companies and, um, you know, just been paying them and he would cast the checks and he didn't really care where the stock was and 
when he was kind of on his way out, that was that was what my dad got. Um, and it's just I saw the power of that. Those two stories really um, resonated with me. So the one orchard that he has, it's still there to this day in Wading River where uh, our family's from on 13th generation in that town, um, was called Hartwood by the Sound. It's now a neighborhood. But, mm-hmm. uh, so I started my fund. It was called Hartwood Capital. And that just kind of started out as a, a random series of events. So the Richard Branson story ties into this. So Richard Branson tells me about 3D printing. I relate that to my mastermind. My mastermind guy um, says, hey, I've got a column in Forbes. You want to write about that story? So I did. I was in 2012, I think in around March. Um, I made a list of like 200 people that I had been around. You know, One of them was Tim Ferriss. We had spent 10 days in Africa uh, based on his book launch. I bought a bunch of books and I got a free trip to Africa out of it. I got to hang out with him and Tim uh, Tim and Charlie Hone and uh, Sam Source. We went to Africa together. Almost got trampled by donkeys, got malaria, a lot of crazy stories. <laughs> But I reach out to Tim and all these other influencers and, you know, I'm getting some traction on this article. Like it got read, I don't know, 10,000 times the first day. The second day, Tim tweets about it like 3 a.m. Everybody in Silicon Valley reads this freaking article on Forbes and it goes nuts. I think it ended up getting read like 300,000 times. Mm -hmm. And three of the stocks that I profiled um, ended up doing really well over the next year and a half. You know, they went up like 10x or some crazy thing and made some money. But that wasn't the point of it. The point was that um, people now knew, and it was in the collective consciousness about 3D printing, and that right. was my gift. And that and that was cool. Uh, but another funny thing happened was that my friend Morgan reaches out to me. He says, "Hey, I just uh, like paid for my wedding with that stock tip you gave me. Like, how do I, you know, how do I give you money to manage? Like, you're you're obviously onto something. You get the space. Like, here's some money. I'm like, uh, okay." Uh, so I go to my smart friends, you know, way smarter than me, you know, my mentors in trading. I, you know, I had one guy that managed a big book for a major investment fund in Philly. I had another guy who was like a self-taught trader who made millions. And I said, well, what do I do with this money? They said, oh, you start a hedge fund. I'm like, a hedge fund? I could just start a hedge fund? Like I was a cold caller on Wall Street for a month before I burned out on it. I hated it. Like, why would I start a hedge fund? They're like, oh, it's easy. Yeah, I just get a lawyer, an accountant, you know, blue sky laws, Reg D, SEC, you're off to the races. And I'm like, I could just start a hedge fund. I don't need like the Pope to come and like wave a wand and say you're hedge fund worthy. They're like, no, go do it. I'm like, okay. So what did I do? I made a list of 200 people that might under some circumstance give me money and 17 of them said yes. I just started dialing and calling and asking and getting a little better at pitching every single time and Pretty soon I'd raised, you know, several hundred thousand dollars and we had a hedge fund. And in a year we blew it up to 106% returns after fees, which was pretty spectacular. Uh, you know, we had some really good months along the way and um, raised a bunch more money. It was getting to the point where like I would get a random wire transfer from Switzerland in the middle of the night and I'd know where it was coming from. Nice. <laughs> finding my offering documents and being like, <laughs> I want to be a part of this train. And I'm like, all right, slow the bus down here. We need to, we need to chill. But um, that was cool, and it, you know, satisfied my ego. We made all that money. I was still miserable, and uh-huh. uh, you know, it just wasn't for me long term. I was going to transfer it over to a crypto fund, which is something I'm really excited about. And I've got all kinds of stories on Facebook. In fact, I want to give your audience. I think crypto and blockchain is fascinating. So if you're open to it, uh, check out mrbls.co/mmmcrypto. That's C R Y P T O. So that's marbles with no vowels. Uh, dot co slash mmm crypto 
And that's okay. my cheat sheet. It's free. You don't have to like put in your email or anything like that. And that gives people a really good understanding of like what are some of the resources I like, how to learn about this space because I really feel like it could either be, you know, the best thing that's ever happened and change the whole world, or it could be nothing. So if you do invest, only invest with money that you're 100% happy to lose all of. Uh, but I'm, you know, sitting on since the beginning maybe 40 to 50x on my crypto positions depending on the day nice and it's been an incredible ride and uh i don't see it slowing down anytime soon i see a lot more people adopting it every day and different countries weighing in on it and you know the federal reserve bank and you know various organizations you know trying to figure out how to meet and to meter power around it mm-hmm. and it's really fascinating to me because you know, it's not something that somebody can own. Like, there's no one central authority, bank, third trusted party that can own the blockchain. It's a collective effort. It's yeah. like you read a science fiction novel about a futuristic civilization, how they deal with money and property, and it's like the blockchain. It's pretty cool. And it, it, it's, you know, and everybody loves to talk about the crypto side because it's money and people are making money and it's exciting and it's tangible. But the blockchain, the underlying, you know, the road on which the the bitcoins drive, if you will, uh, if they're the car in that analogy, is a, a public ledger that's distributed trust. Really, is what it comes down to. It's it's it removes transactional friction. It removes middlemen. It can yeah. change real estate. It can change insurance. It can change um, the way we do identity. The way we do fraud. You know, what if we had a time machine, <laughs> <laughs> like on your Mac, where if a fraudulent transaction happened, you could just literally roll it back to where it wasn't fraudulent and move on from there. Mm-hmm. That's a possibility with the blockchain. So, you know, fraud just by itself is a five hundred billion dollar a year problem. Yeah. I mean, look at what just with Equifax. My data got breached in that. I don't know what to do about it exactly yet. I'm still thinking about what I want to do, and I could try to sue, and I could try to do all that. But really, that's the problem. If we focus on the problem, we'll never find the solution. I'd rather focus my energy into the solution. Let's make a better system that serves more people where these guys that are, you know, hacking, cracking, fraudulent nonsense are no longer able to operate. And from that place... You know, how do we free up all that time, energy, and attention to where maybe they'll go from black hat to white hat? They'll do the whole Frank Abagnale thing and and become a, a a warrior of the light and make a lot more money doing it because now they're doing white hat and everybody's on board and they're adding more value to society because it takes a lot of work to steal, guys. I'm just saying. Yeah. So, and it's it's not a, it's not a good trade. You know, it's just not it's not valuable. It's not equitable. It's not an abundant exchange. Yeah. Brad, I want to ask you one more thing. The theme of these podcasts are talking to location-independent entrepreneurs that are building six, seven, eight-figure businesses. And I wonder um, if you can give some quick tips to those guys and gals that are in the hustle trying to take their business to the next level while enjoying the benefits of being location-independent and making their dreams come true. Yeah, you need a team. Stop trying to do it all yourself. I like it. Solopreneurs are failing miserably. Nobody, nothing of merit was ever accomplished by one single person acting in a bubble ever. It's just not possible. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's, I'll start with that. And then I'll say, take wealth dynamics. It's an exceptionally great test to understand what your flow is. And if you take it, send me your results. I'll send you a video uh, about your type and help you understand it better. Uh, or somebody on my team will, if it gets overwhelming. Where can they find uh, that out? So Wealth Dynamics, go to mrbls.co slash, uh, I think it's test. Okay. Pretty sure. I can double check that. And then we'll put the right link in the show notes if that's not it. Anything else you'd like to share with the listeners, maybe about 
your current Make More Marbles project or vision or anything else you'd like to wrap the show up with? Yeah, I just look at the this creative universe that we live in. Right? It's like this big sandbox we all get to play in. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about sand is when you heat it up, it makes glass. And if you take that glass and you give it a little twist, you make a marble. And the funny thing is we can always make more marbles. And there's always more sand. And there's always more heat we could generate if we just want to. Uh, if we desire it, we can create it. And that's been true forever. You know, 100 years ago, if you told me you could look inside somebody without cutting them open, I'd say you're crazy. But now we use PT scan, uh, CT scans and PET scans every day. Uh, if you told me 10 years ago I'd have a supercomputer in my pocket, I'd tell you you're crazy. <laughs> but now I have a supercomputer in my pocket. And there's better and cheaper and faster ones coming out every year. And, and I look at the world from the abundant perspective and I see how well we're doing in humanity. But the problem with humans is that we're 250,000-year-old animals that we don't really get the world that we're living in. We, we're trained and we're wired to think linearly and locally, but the world is geometric and exponential. And it's growing in capacity to create all the time. The average person can get in touch with anybody in the world right now if they're determined to do so. So never forget the power of connection. Never forget the power of humanity. Never forget the power of your struggles that define you. The pain that you feel is creating the person that you want to be. You have a desire and and life is giving you the challenges to to create you into the person for whom the things you desire show up effortlessly. And never forget that. We can always make more if we work together. Brad, my friend, I have to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your tips and your tricks with us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Chris, and thank you again for having me. And thank you for everybody listening. I know I can ramble. I apologize, but I I felt like that was what I needed to say. And thank you for letting me be a vessel. I'd listen to you ramble all day, my friend. Listeners, we're going to wrap up there. You guys, thank you for joining in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day-to-day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for the attendees, and you'll get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, and co-working spaces. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, don't hesitate to contact us, theentrepreneurhouse.com entrepreneurhouse.com. We will respond as soon as we can. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.